0: Some bad news. The battery has gone dead in my clock. (laughs) It says it's 1025. So you've got watches, yeah, that's what I figured, yeah. I thought as much. So that's why I brought my telephone up here. If you see me hit my button and watch that I'll you'll know why this morning. What a day for the clock to quit. Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We looked at this passage uh, two weeks ago. and Last week, Dr. Seals was with us. and we talked about missions. And I think it's appropriate to come back to the same passage and look at it from just a little bit of a different angle, if you will. You know, the thing about Scripture is that it so fascinates me always is that you can take the same passage of Scripture and look at it from different angles and see a multitude of different things. All sorts of different things. Something new and something fresh all the time coming out of God's Word. That's why the Word is living. That's why it's alive. That's why it never gets old. It never gets obsolete. It's always there to teach us and instruct us as we seek to obey it and desire to obey it. Uh, in, In verses 19 through 34, we have here John the Apostle writing the book talking about John the Baptist's ministry. And, and he uses that in a very clear way. He, he's, he's wanted to show that the, the ministry of John the Baptist was preparatory and was preliminary and was necessary for bringing Christ uh, into the earthly ministry that God had given him, that he was born into this world to have. So it's, it, it's not unusual how he does this. But John shows us John the Baptist's work in a very significant way. And he shows us, I think, in many ways that, that John the Baptist is a good example for us as to how we ought to be carrying out our ministry in, in Somerset, Kentucky in, in 2012 in this year in which we are granted the grace to live and to, to, to move and to minister. Now I don't mean by that that we are to come on the scene you know, in, in camel's hair and, and, uh, and, and eating locusts and honey. I haven't had any locusts lately, and I stopped eating honey. But but the point is, it's a uh, it's a matter of understanding that it's not the method with which he came, but it's the message with which he came that is vitally important, and that we need to look at and understand, and as best we can by the power of God and the grace of God to emulate in our own lives. Hear what John writes about the testimony of John the Baptist. Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed "I did not and, and did not deny, but conf- he confessed and did not deny, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, and I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness and simply saying, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. I'm a voice. I'm I'm just a voice. I'm just saying this one sentence, get ready and make make straight the way of the Lord. The Lord is coming. Prepare yourself for it. The Lord is real. The Lord's truth that has been revealed through the prophets about the coming of his Son and the coming of Messiah is now among you. And my voice is just simply to say, get ready for it. That was not the message that these priests and Levites wanted to hear. They professed to be looking for Messiah. They've been professing that for generations. Oh, we're looking for the Messiah. But when the Messiah came, they didn't know him. Because he did not meet their expectations, he did not meet what they anticipated, uh, even as the disciples asked Jesus in that passage out of Acts that Todd read just a few moments ago, uh, you know, they said, uh, "Is this the time you're going to reestablish the kingdom of Israel, even after seeing the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and about to witness him ascend into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father, they're still concerned about earthly matters. they're still concerned about can you reestablish Israel and get these Romans out of?" Jerusalem. That was their That was their primary concern. So John says, I'm just a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Now they had seen from the Pharaoh, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And they asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered him, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifest to Israel, I came baptizing in water. And John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, Upon whom whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. In verse 19, John the apostle launches into a whole different dimension of giving to us who Christ is. He is in verses 1 through 18, he dealt in prologue, he dealt with theological truths, he dealt with cosmic truths that went back before the foundational world, went all the way back to before creation, to, to, uh, uh, to eternity past. He talked about Christ being there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And he, he delineated who this Word was, in Jesus, who Jesus Christ was as the Word of God. Now he comes in verse 19, as we said two weeks ago, to start giving us an, uh, an account of the earthly life and ministry of Jesus Christ and the work that he did and the things that he did while he was on the earth. John, more than any other of the gospel writers, kind of amazes me. If you notice, you know he'll start saying, like in verse 20, uh, uh, 29, he said, Now the next day, John gives us the clearest delineation of days of any of the gospel writers. And, and what you have here, starting in verse 19 and going down through about chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 11 or so, is the first week of the earthly ministry of Christ. It's the first week as Jesus comes on the scene. The first day, verses 19 through 28, basically, you see John the Baptist confessing he's not the Messiah, but he denies that he possesses any independent importance of his own apart from the one who is yet to come. He says, I'm not him, but the one that's coming, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. I mean, I'm not even worthy to stand down in his presence, but he is coming. On the second day, verses 29 through through basically 34, which are the two days we're looking at today, John identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God for whom he came to prepare the way. Who he came to get the world ready for, to, to point to. Uh, the one who would say, He must increase and I must decrease. The one who, to whom he will say, There is the one, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So the second day was spent in acknowledging and, and identifying Jesus as the Lamb of God. Just a quick overview of what's yet to come. On the third day, in 35 through 39, you'll see John's testimony causes two of his own disciples to follow Jesus. Uh, so John starts testifying, saying he's the one, look to him, he's what matters. And so two of his, of his own disciples start following after Jesus. We'll see that next week. On the fourth day, uh, one of these disciples, Andrew, goes and finds his brother Peter and brings him to Jesus and said, listen, I found the Messiah. And come and let me introduce you to him. And so there Peter is brought in. And we'll talk a little bit about family evangelism when we get to that point and the importance on the fourth day. The fifth day, you find Jesus calling Philip, and then Philip goes and calls out Nathanael and says, Come and see, in verses 43 through 51 of this chapter. Then on, on day six, you just have the journey to Galilee. They, they travel on that day and head to Galilee. And then on the seventh day of that first week, it all centers around Jesus, his mother, and his disciples at the wedding feast in Cana. So it's all of this first week is identifying Jesus, showing who he is, showing why he's come into the world and will culminate in the first miracle which teaches us volumes about his ministry. And when we get to that, I hope you see some things that will really strike close to home in your own life. I hope you'll see what turning the water into wine really means. Uh, not just for that wedding feast. I mean, that was, a, that was a great gift that Jesus gave to the host of the wedding but it had nothing to do with the eternal truths like it does to you and me. And so we'll see what it means to see wine out of water, old wineskins not being able to hold this new wine that was coming into the world through Jesus Christ. But in all of that, those first seven days, the Apostle John's real concern is that we see the witness that is born to Jesus Christ. Everything he shows us is to show us that that John the Baptist had one mission and one mission only. Uh, he didn't care about his clothes. He wore camel hair, a little rough, little a uh, little rustic, if you will. But he wore camel hair. He didn't worry about his diet. He, he ate locusts and honey, and locusts I'm sure were crunchy and tasty. But that's not what he was worried about. They sustained him. That's all that mattered. And the honey was sweet, and honey is good. I mean, it's, it's used as a, a description for the Word of God, being sweet as a honeycomb and sweet as uh, sweet can be. Uh, that's how we ought to view the Word. But John was not concerned with external materialistic matters. John had one focus and one focus only, and that was being a witness, being a testimony, bearing a testimony to Jesus Christ. And and John the Apostle spends an enormous amount of time, if you will, in these first verses concentrating on the one who is saying, don't look at me, look at him. Don't follow me, follow him. I can't do anything for you other than dip you in some water, and you can say you repent of your sins, and I'll dip you in water, but there's no effectual cleansing. There's no effectual change in your life that I can bring. Water just symbolizes, but I'm going to show you one that's going to come and baptize not with water, but going to come and baptize with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that will change your life, permeate your life, and make you a whole new creature. That's what John is saying. And quite honestly, that's what our our witness is to be also. Our witness is not to be any differently. And the early church got a glimpse of that. The early church began to live it out. And and I think when when Jesus spoke to his disciples later in in this book, Over in chapter 15, when he talks about the vine and the branches, and when he says to the disciples in the 16th verse of that chapter, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. I think it's evident he's saying that salvation consists not so much in what they chose or what we choose, but that he had chosen, and then that in choosing us, he commissions us to go about the task of telling others about him and about what he has done in the world, in, in his work, and, and indeed in our lives. In history, that's always been the focus. Tertullian, one of the early church fathers who wrote around, around the year 200 A.D., so it was in, within a, uh, a couple of generations of Jesus' actual ministry. Tertullian uh, declared this somewhere around 200 uh, in his title of the work, Apology, which we know is not saying I'm sorry, but it's an apologetic teaching truth. He said this, Tertullian said, We are but of yesterday, and we have filled every place among you, cities, islands, fortresses, towns, marketplace, the very camp, tribes, companies, palace, senate, forum, and we have left nothing to you but the temples of your God, your gods, little g. Tertullian said, we have permeated everything. You'll find us everywhere. You won't find us in the pagan temples. You won't find us in there trying to act like we're worshiping them in order to do something for you, but we'll stand outside and we'll share. But we've got everything else. Our our, Christians are in the cities, the islands, the fortresses, the companies, the palace, the senate, the forum, everywhere. We've left nothing unturned. We've gone in with the gospel of Christ sharing what Jesus Christ did to do. Now, Now you might say, how did this happen? Well, Edward Gibbon, who wrote the, the book, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, he, he noted this about the early church. He said, it became the most sacred duty of a new convert to diffuse among his friends and relatives the inestimable blessing that he had received. Uh, Tertullian said it, it, became the, it became the sacred duty when a person in that early church came to faith in Christ and trusted Christ and knew the blessings of Christ knew the forgiveness that that the gospel brings and the forgiveness that the work of Christ brings and the cleansing from guilt and sin when a a convert recognized and knew that that great blessing it was his sacred duty to take it to his friends and family to diffuse it out among them to tell them the truth about who Jesus is Another historian, uh, Adolf uh, Harnock, uh, the church historian, declared this in his mission, the the mission and expansion of Christianity. He said, we cannot hesitate to believe that the great mission of Christianity was in reality accomplished by means, and I love this term, of informal missionaries. Uh, Informal missionaries. I told the youth this morning, uh, prayed with them before Sunday school that to listen for a term that, that I just really come to love through this. And it's, it's what Harnock said there when he said that that early church, the, the mission of Christianity to take the gospel into the whole world, the mission of Christianity, which was in that Acts passage when Jesus told his disciples to go into all the world and take the gospel, that mission of Christianity was accomplished not by professional preachers, not by professional missionaries, not by professional evangelists, but it was accomplished, according to Harnock, by informal missionaries. What in the world is an informal missionary? It's one who just basically says, Christ has done a work in my life and I want to tell you about it. I don't have a seminary training. I, I don't I hadn't been to Bible school, other than vacation Bible school when I was a kid, maybe, uh and Sunday school and in worship for most of my life. <laughs> but but I, I want to tell you, this is who Jesus Christ, this is what he's done in my life. And then bear witness of that from the truth of God's word. I love that term, informal missionaries, because that's what you and I, I believe, are supposed to be. That's what the early Christians were, and that's what contemporary Christians should be. Informal missionaries in your homes, among your family, in your communities, and, and on your jobs, wherever God takes you. But what about John's witness here? His, his witness was really quite simple. Uh, it was threefold. Somebody asked me if I had three points today. I've got three points twice, okay? So, uh, but, but I don't have six points. I just got three points repeated twice. But the first three points are what John's message was. John's message was simple. Number one was, he was not the light. He, he said, no, I'm not the light. I, I just came to bear witness to the light. I'm just a voice, I'm just one who says, make straight the way of the Lord. I'm just the one who can point you to the light, but I'm not the light. That was his first message, first point of his message. The second point of his message is that he was sent to bear witness to the light. He's not the light, but I came to bear witness to the light. And then the third point was that you can have life through him if you believe. If you believe in him, you can have light and life in your life. So so John's message was simple. I'm not it. He is, and if you believe in him and trust in him, he will be your light and life for all of your life, for all your time on earth. It's a quite simple message. It it really didn't require much more than living out in the wilderness and eating locusts and honey. He knew from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who Jesus was, and he began to understand that in a new and clear way. Our witness really should be similar to that. It should be... Very closely tied with what John's was. The contemporary witness, you and me, living in our day, 2012, must realize, first of all, as John did, that, that we really have no, no independent importance apart from Christ. You know, I mean, I know we live in the day of self esteem and self-actualization, and all these kind of terms thrown around you. Know, we, we have an education system that says, hey, you've got to help people feel good about themselves and feel important and feel empowered and whatever else. Well, I want you to know, to be an effective witness, you have to come to realize that you have no independent importance apart from Jesus Christ. That He is our esteem. He is our strength. He is our encouragement in every area of life. And and until you come to realize that, until you come to realize that that it's not me, but it's him, then, then you'll always cower back from witness. You know why? Because it's all about whether you're accepted. It's all about whether you're liked. It's all about whether they reject you or not. And in reality, it's not about any of that. In sharing a witness of Jesus Christ, it's all about who he is and what he has done and his glory and his power and his truth. We're just messengers of it. But we're so afraid people are going to shoot the messenger, aren't we? You know, we're so afraid they'll, they'll reject us. Well, they're not rejecting us if they say no to Christ. They're not saying, because I think you're such a bad person. They're just saying, I don't see that. And we know that Scripture is going to teach us. John's going to teach us in John's gospel. Unless the Holy Spirit acts in their life, they'll never see it. They'll just go on through life happy and, 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 and uh, fat, dumb, and happy and, and doing their own thing and never see a need for Christ unless God gives them light to see and gives them eyes to see. So we share with the hope that the Holy Spirit is, is working in their heart, and they do here. But if they reject us, they're not saying you're not important. You're not. You're not necess- they're, they're not saying I don't like you. But we have to come to realize that we're, our message is to present Christ, nothing else. Second thing I think we need to see is that, that we're to bear witness to the light. What John did here, it said he, he bore witness to the light. He was sent for that very purpose. We're sent for that very purpose also. And to bear witness to the light, we, we have to give a, that, that has to be a verbal witness. Verbal, talking, you know, using your mouth. I know there's a big uh, thing going around, and a lot of people are using it now. It's real, uh, real hip to use. You know, I think it was uh, St. Francis of Assisi said, said, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. That's the most ridiculous statement there's ever I've ever heard. You can't preach the gospel without using words. You say, oh, yeah, my, my, my preaching the gospel, I just try to live it. You know, I try to live out my testimony before people. I just, I just try to, to do what's right and, and let them see what's right and take the right stands and everything, and, and that's, all that, that, that's all it takes. That's all I do. I don't, I don't. Well, let me tell you something. A nonverbal witness is confusing to the, to the non-Christian and typically will be totally misunderstood. Again, at this point, they might think you're a great person because you do all the right things, you, you, or at least you think you do. You know, I I I live a good life, a clean life. I don't cuss, I don't chew, I don't smoke, and I don't run around with folks that do. You know that kind of thing. I remember hearing, I remember hearing uh, R. C. Sproul tell the story about one person he was talking to, and this Christian said, "Well, I just give, I give a nonverbal witness everywhere I go." And he said, "Well, give me an example of a nonverbal witness." And this person told R.C., said, well, here's a good example. He said, yesterday at work, I was going out of the office to run down to the store and get a Coke or something, and said, one of my coworkers, and you can tell this was several years ago, uh, held out two quarters, 50 cents, and said, would you bring me back a pack of cigarettes? Now, I don't know what the packs, I don't know what they cost today, but I know they're more than two quarters. And said, would you bring me back uh, a pack of cigarettes when you come back? And, and this person told R.C., said, but I bore witness to him. I said, No. I don't believe in smoking. I'm not bringing you back any cigarettes. And when I said, see, I took a stand for righteousness. What that person heard was not, oh, wow, that person really loves Jesus. What that person heard was, that is a jerk right there. I ask a favor, and they decline to do it because they don't believe in smoking? Well, that's their business. I, mean, I think I don't endorse that. I got criticized by some of my own family because my nephew, who's in Afghanistan, we... Uh, we sent him a care package. He's, he's home now. Thank the Lord. He's back in the States. But we, uh, we would send him a care package, and one thing Patrick asked for in his care package was skull, long-cut cherry, wild cherry. I had no idea what that was, but when I asked for it, I got it. And, and I would buy it, and I'd, I, I would not buy it here in town. I'd go to Bowling Green. <laughs> Every time I went to Nashville, we would stop in Bowling Green and everything. And I would put it in the package because my desire was to my desire was to minister to my nephew and, and meet what he needed while he was on the battlefield. Now, did I did I write him a note there and say, "Man, Patrick, I'm so happy you're you're chewing this stuff. This is great. You know, I couldn't wait to." No, I didn't do that. But my desire was to to minister to him, and and if I'd have written him saying, "Patrick, I'm sorry, I, I I really can't send you skull because." it'll cause cancer in your cheek, and I don't believe in it, and it's not a good idea, and you need to clean up your act. He wouldn't have thought his uncle was a a really uh, great Christian because he denied that. He would have thought, well, boy, he really doesn't care about me at all. You see what I'm saying? Verbal uh, nonverbal witness is confusing to non-Christians. Nonverbal witness will be totally misunderstood. The only value of a nonverbal witness is to live in light of the gospel of Christ so that somebody might say to you, what's, what is it that's different about your life? And you can say, Let me hear what's different about my life. It's what Christ has done in my life that has made the difference. A verbal witness is a true witness. A nonverbal witness. There's no witness at all. It's a confusing witness. If it's not followed by nonverbal, well, You don't feel bad about me. By it. anyway, uh, so we're to, we're we're, to, we're to, we have no independent importance apart from Christ. We are to bear witness to the light, and that's to be a verbal witness. And then finally, thirdly, our message is Jesus. John the Baptist didn't say, and he he could have easily said, you know, you need to go down to the tabernacle, or you need to go down to the temple, or go down to the synagogue, and you need to read the scriptures there, and hear the messages there, and figure out that the Messiah is coming, and this is the Messiah. He never said, you got to get religious before you can come to Christ. His message was Jesus Christ. That's our message. Our message isn't Grace Baptist Church. Our, Our message isn't what takes place here. I like what takes place here. I rejoice in what takes place here. But our message is not, hey, come to grace, and and maybe if they'll just come to grace, they'll get saved somehow. Our message individually as informal missionaries is to be Jesus Christ. First of all, who he is. John said, I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. He said, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He said, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I just baptize in water. The the witness, the testimony that we bear must be who he is. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior. He is the Christ. And we can speak no less than that. He's not just a good teacher. Not just a good moral example. As C.S. Lewis made the point in his book, Mere Christianity, in using the trilogy of he's either Lord, liar, or lunatic. If he's who he said he was, he's Lord. If he's not who he said he was, he's either lying to us or he's a crazy man, a lunatic. But we have no other options of who he is. Secondly, what he's done Again, he, we're going to see in John's gospel, he did a lot. He taught a lot. He did a lot of miracles. He did a lot. But every one of those miracles, every one of those teachings, everything that he said was pointing to that cross. Everything he did was moving toward the work of, him, of his work on the cross. And, and our message is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world because he sacrificed on the cross himself as the Lamb of God, and and His work is a work of atonement. His work is a work of cleansing. His work is a work of salvation. It's not to clean you up and make you a better person so that people will like you. It's to make you fit for the kingdom, to make you fit for heaven, to make you fit for a relationship with God by clothing you in the righteousness of Christ. It's what He's done. That's why we spent... The last, what, six, eight weeks in Sunday school, going through Christianity Explored, just taking a a basic understanding from Mark's gospel about what Christianity is. You are given tools in that Sunday school that you ought to be able to be an informal missionary all over this town every single day. That was the purpose of it. It wasn't just so, oh, these are nice DVDs and these people have nice British accents. You know, I got a friend, Alistair Begg. You probably heard him on the radio some, and, and I could listen to Alistair read the phone book. I mean, it'd be that interesting just because of his Scottish brogue. It's not the accent that those had, it's not that they came from somewhere else. It was the essence of, of the witness. It's the essence of what you were trying to equip you to do. Not so that you quit your job and. Go out and become a formal missionary. God may call, as as Dr. Seal said last weekend, God may call some of us to that, but that's not the purpose of that. The purpose is so you can be an informal witness equipped in Somerset, Kentucky. And then finally, how can one intimately come to know him? We tell in this message who he is, what he's done, and how one can come to know him intimately. And we do that by talking about faith, trust, belief, and not just intellectual belief, but, but real soul belief. I believe that this is the Son of God. And I put my trust in Him to save me from my sin and, and to clothe me in His righteousness and to give me of His life. You understand that? Glorious truth. That's a message we have. I mean, I mean we'll do things to get, be able to tell that message. But listen, if we just go to Peru five or six times a year and go in there and do medical clinics and dental clinics and eye clinics and and go in there and help them purify their water and go in there and and, and help them uh, build houses or whatever we go in there to do. If we just go in and do that and say, well. Fun, fun being here with you, bye, and we leave without saying, listen, we're here for one reason, and that is to tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ, to tell you about the person of Christ, the work of Christ, and to tell you how you can have an intimate relationship with Him and with God through Him, then we are, we are wasting money and we are doing more damage than we are good. Our call is the same call that John had. Our ministry is the same ministry of John. We are just to be a voice. It's not just for the trained clergy. but It's for every believer who simply says, listen, God has done something in my life, and God has revealed himself in Scripture. Let me tell you who he is, what he's done, and how you can know it. Here's the three points. Who he is, what he's done, and how you can know him. seems so simple the early church literally turned the world upside down in a very few years because they took that seriously they infiltrated everything but the temples of idols they infiltrated the workplace the religion it was not a false religion they infiltrated homes cities villages islands everything It spread like a a wildfire. Not because they had great evangelists or missionaries or pastors or even great churches. Most of the churches were very small, meeting in homes or in caves somewhere. It was because believers who had been touched by the Spirit of God said, I must tell those I care about must tell those I care about. I mean I've experienced, I've, I've come to this knowledge of Christ and it's a liberating free and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, Jesus said in John's gospel. I've been set free, I've been liberated. I know this freedom of from guilt and sin. I must tell those I love. I must tell those I care about. That's how it spread across the world. John says, John says, look to John the Baptist as your example, as your encouragement, because it's true. Let's pray. I don't know what it is God is dealing with you about this morning. It may be that you're here this morning and and you want to know about more about the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus because you don't already. You've never trusted Him, and He's calling you to Himself. It, it might be you're here this morning and you've, you're a believer, but boy, you've you've somehow thought oh, I can just be a non-verbal witness, and God's convicted you that you have to speak the truth with clarity clarity and love following it up by an example a, a, a bad example will negate the gospel but a good example can only be a vehicle to share the gospel I don't know what it is God's dealing with you about but I hope you'll listen to his spirit speaking through his word Father we commit this time to you We pray, O Lord, that in all of this, you will receive the glory because you are worthy of our worship because of what you did on that cross. Thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.